Hello everybody, you're listening to The Private Citizen episode 53 for Wednesday the 27th of January 2021. Clippy in your car. Hello everybody, my name is Fab. Welcome to The Private Citizen. I'm coming to you live from the cold city of Düsseldorf on the Rhine. And uh, as usual, back on a Wednesday release. Sorry about that last week. Uh, yeah, it was Sleepy Joe's fault. He just he just got inaugurated too slowly. <laughs> and that's my excuse. Um, today I'm here on my own. Uh, Mike is uh, not here. La- last week we had this uh, amazing and very long discussion with my friend Mike. Uh, today is a you know more of a normal episode, which is me. Hello, I'm Fab. Fabian Alexander Scherche, if you want the full name, uh, but Fab is Fab is easier. Just let's just go with uh, with Fab. And of course, I'm I'm streaming this live on Twitch. This is why this is why I come to you live um, as I record this. So maybe we'll have some live feedback uh, during the show. Um, what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about a system called eCall, uh, or as I like to call it, Clippy in your car. It looks like you've had an accident. Shall I call the emergency services? Um, this is a this is a topic I've mentioned on the show before because I've been planning to do it for almost almost a year. So next next week actually, um, the show is um, gonna be a year old. I think next week I'm actually gonna um, change the release schedule and I might actually release the show on on the Friday and on Wednesday uh, because uh, I. You know, if I can, I might do two shows, but I don't think that's realistic right now. I've got a lot on my plate, so you know, don't 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 be alarmed if it won't be out by Wednesday. I'll put it out on Friday because then the show will be exactly a year old. Uh, I thought that that would be kind of cool. Anyway, so I've been planning this for ages. Um, this is a topic uh, I'm very much interested in because I'm interested in cars and I'm interested in car hacking because I write about IT security, and those are fascinating stories. And um, yeah, and so today we're going to talk about eCall, what it is, uh, you know, in, which cars have it, what what's the pro- problem with it, how do you get it out, uh, how does it relate to uh, similar systems like OnStar and Ford Sync, which you might know if you're listening to this uh, in the UK. Yeah, and then of, of course we're going to have some feedback and, and all, all that good jazz. Uh, but before we get into that topic, I want to mention one thing. So I've recently finished playing Cyberpunk 2077, which is a new um, action RPG from uh, CD Projekt Red, the, the makers of The Witcher. And uh, it's obviously set in the Cyberpunk universe. Um, I really like it. Anyway, in the game, uh, there is a fictional band that Keanu Reeves' character, who's, you know, Keanu Reeves plays a, a very important character in the band, Johnny Silverhand, in the in the game and and he's a lead singer of a band called Samurai. Now, uh, in game they perform a number of songs. Uh, these songs were recorded by the Swedish punk band Refused, and they go by the Samurai. You can actually, if you if you look for Samurai on, uh, let's say uh, Spotify, uh, you will find their songs. It's pretty cool. Anyway, they have a song that in the game which is called Alike Supreme, and I put a link to that in the show notes at privatecitizen.press. 
privatecitizen.press for all the show notes, uh, all the all the information I'm going to talk about today. Um, there's a link to the video on YouTube uh, with the song. Now, I want to read out the lyrics of this song because it's a great song and it's very applicable to this show. It's pretty much uh, deals with topics this show is about. So the song is called Alike Supreme. In our willingness to be bought and in our hunger, hunger to buy, hear the wish of the oppressed to at least get oppressed in style. Freedom is slavery, your content sold, your liquid dorsal so profitable. Pay for your pastime, pay to unwind, pay to be, re pay to be born, pay to die. So, so savage, the new machine, geared to hunt down your privacy. So, so savage, the new machine, kill it all for a like supreme. So, so savage, the new machine, Geared to hunt down your privacy, so so savage, the new machine. Kill it all for a like supreme. Here we are now, so entertained. We aim for stupid means we're going we aim for stupid means we're going insane. Conflict is order, there's war and peace. Adjust the language to what they believe. This is this is very very applicable applicable to what's going on right now and what I've talked about in previous episodes. Conflict is order. There's war and peace. Adjust the language to what they believe. Friction is power. The distance uh, the distance is from not knowing to knowing this. So so savage uh, the new machine again and again and then um, it ends with hunt down hunt down hunt down your dignity hunt down hunt down hunt down alike supreme hunt down hunt down hunt down self esteem hunt down hunt down hunt down hunt it down now. Um, this is a this is a great song. Uh, so I, I think this basically deals, you know, cyberpunk being like the future and corporations and all about cyberspace. And this basically, this is about social networks, right? Uh, you know, they, uh, they, um, you know, monetizing the content and, you know, obviously capitalism as well, you know, you have to pay, pay for a pastime, pay to unwind, pay to be born, pay to die. Um, you know about privacy and all that. It's a great song. Um, I would play it on on the uh, for you right now, but I you know really can't for rights reasons. So uh, please go and and listen to that. It's a it's a nice song as well. Like it's well 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 performed as well. Anyway, just wanted to mention that. Now we're going to talk about cars um, and about you know modern cars and e-call and all of that and you know the European Union and what have we. So, what is e-call? Uh, so, in 2015, uh, the European Parliament um, passed uh, a law that from 2018 onwards, all new cars in the EU uh, have to be fitted with a system um, they're called e-call. Now, what is e-call? It's basically uh, GSM, GPR, GSM or GPR, so 2G or 3G modem uh, that has its own SIM card. Uh, in a little box and uh, that's connected to the car's entertainment uh, and telemetric systems. So basically it has access to the speakers, to the microphone in the car and to GPS location data. Now this is supposed to kick in uh, once the car, uh, you know, the electronics in the car, people say the computer, but often, you know, 
it's just a lot of hard-coded stuff I sometimes uh, yes technically I guess it's computers but you know it's not a computer in the sense of a desktop computer it's more like IoT stuff right in the car uh, once that has recognized that you have been in a crash uh, you know there's the system state i.e. you know the, the 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 same thing that triggers uh when the abex deployed you know so the abex have deployed you're in a crash um it's supposed to automatically dial uh 112 which is the european is a eu wide uh, emergency number that works in every uh, country in the eu um and this this system is more of let's say a an implementation standard like a rough guideline it's not really a hardware specification uh, which means that well, there are standards about this but it mean, basically each car manufacturer has their own proprietary solution for this um and um they are they do not really tell car manufacturers in general they don't tell people much and they don't really want to tell the customers uh, how this is actually implemented in their cars and um there is little information about how, you know, when you can see that the system's on or stuff like that. Most cars have, you know, if you have a modern car, it, it will have like a call, almost like an SOS button somewhere. Uh, sometimes it has a LED to indicate when it's on. You, I think you have to press it longer to actually initiate it. Uh, but in some cars, this is built into the entertainment system or otherwise... Uh, really hard to find, uh, basically invisible. Now, this is supposed to work in a way that, um, um, I think when, I'm going to talk a little bit about this later, but basically it just initiates the, it, it's not connected. It's not to be supposed to connect it, be connected to the cell network uh, every time. It, it's uh, it's supposed to be unconnected and only um, basically ask for a registration on the cell network once a crash has occurred. Uh, now, why has the EU done this? Um, it, this is kind of a, like, this is a typical EU thing. It's like a think of the children. Um, so the goal, uh, the, the, a few years ago, the EU um, specified a goal of reducing uh, traffic accidents by 10% each year. So from 2020, 2010 to 2020, they wanted to cut um, basically... Uh, traffic accidents in half uh, i've put a graph in the show note that show notes that is from the european transport safety council where you can see what their goal is and what the reality is and the reality comes short um so uh, in 2018 it was like 0.4 percent i think uh in 2019 it was like four percent numbers for 2020 2020 aren't out yet um so we currently stand at I think minus 24% since 2010, 2010 instead of 50%. I mean, 10% each year is, is, I mean, you hear that and it's it's widely unrealistic. Um, and one of the reasons maybe why this is unrealistic is that car manufacturers actually are getting around building these systems into their cars. But I'll talk about that later. Um, I'll go into detail on that a little bit later. Why that is and and how they how they are doing that. Um, but like for me, like I think everybody with a bit of common sense uh, can like what what is this magic technology that is supposed to save so many so many lives, right? So basically, uh, what it's supposed to do is if you have a crash and nobody is around. 
you know, the car calls emergency services, do you can talk to them and it'll send like your GPS location so they can find where you are. But, you know, if you live in Europe, just think about it. A vast majority of all car crashes and a vast majority of like really dangerous and deadly accidents in Europe happen in um, highly populated areas, usually because, you know, cars run into each other. For that to happen, you have to have more than one car. Usually it's not like a road where there's like two cars for miles and those run into each other, they both crash and then nobody finds the accident site. Normally in Europe, especially, you know, in places like Germany, um, if an accident happen, it, it happens, it'll it'll get, especially if it's a dangerous one, you know, it's a big one, uh, you know, it, it, with serious injuries, it'll get called in immediately. Um, so in Germany, a lot of accidents happen on the autobahn, you know, on the on the motorway. Um, I mean, that that that'll get it called in in seconds. There's people everywhere. Um, of course, you do have crashes like you know in the middle of the night, uh, you know, like drunken teenagers or like teenagers who can't drive who drive way too fast uh, on an, like on one of these. Um, uh, you know, roads with trees on both sides of the road and then get off the road, they run into a tree, right? So that happens. Uh, usually those those get find as well, found as well. Usually the problem there is that people just die. You know, if, you, if you're driving 120 and you hit a tree, uh, you know, no, no system that calls the ambulance is going to save you. Uh, you're probably dead. Like if the ambulance gets dispatched at the moment where you have to crash, they pro- this is this happens a lot. Like in rural areas, so they probably need 20 minutes to to get to the crash site. You know, people are dead. Um, so this system is. I mean, it's um, it's not a bad idea, but I don't think it's so groundbreaking that it you know it would just save lives. There are certainly areas in Europe where this could be applicable you know i've been i've been all over europe driving riding my motorbike all over europe uh in spain uh, you know uh, in italy you know even the alps everywhere but if you're like you know in the pyrenees basically um there's like roads where there's not that many people around but even there you know i mean i've never been on a road in europe where more than 20 minutes passed uh, until i saw another motorist um, you know, and I've been in remote mountain areas in southern Europe. I've been in, you know, been in Norway last year. Maybe, you know, up in Finland or something, you know. Uh, or like in, in the Slavic countries somewhere in the east, you know, it's sparsely populated. But like even in fucking Brandenburg with like the less populated area in Germany now, there's there's people everywhere. So I don't I don't understand how this is, I mean... If you if you don't look at like the security issues and the privacy issues, and you look just look at the system. Yes, it's probably saving lives, um, but I don't think it's is as unrealistic as the EU claimed when they passed this law. Um, now they have. Uh, I found a paper uh, from I think this is from 2014 uh, of two people uh, from Finland, uh, Risto Erni and Timo Korhonen. I'm sorry if uh, if you're from Finland, that was probably horrible. (laughs) Um, They uh, did some research, uh, preliminary research, when this standard was, you know, before this was all being passed. And they did some field tests in Finland and, and, you know, in sparsely populated areas. And they they found, you know, areas where, like, the call couldn't get through because there was no uh, mobile coverage. And that that's the thing I see. Like, if you're in Europe and you're really in a remote area where there's really no people around, well, if you have a crash, people won't find you. 
chances are you don't have any cell connection either because there's no people around, right? You're like in a in a national park somewhere in fucking, I don't know where, like in Finland or in, you know, Portugal or whatever. Um, there's probably not going to be cell towers around. Um, so th- the system might not even help you then. Now, um, the EU parliament, when they passed this, uh, they said about e-call, um, they said the following. Um, the system, so it's, It communicates the vehicle's exact location to emergency services, the time of incident and the direction of travel, most important on motorways. Even if the driver is unconscious or unable to make a phone call. An e-call can also be triggered manually by pushing a button in the car, for example, by a witness of a serious accident. E-call will transmit, well, they could also use their phone. Right? E-call will, like, who doesn't have a phone? E-call will transmit the data that is absolutely necessary in case of accident. Information only leaves the car in the event of a severe accident and is not stored any longer than necessary. The commission estimates that once the system is fully implemented, e-call could save hundreds of lives every year and help injured people quicker. Like, I understand, you know, I know um, people who are like emergency doctors and stuff like that. Um, and I know a few people who are paramedics. Um, I know that with these situations, uh, every second counts. Um, that's just a fact. Um, my my um, experience in this is not so much like car accidents, but, you know, uh, heart attacks and stuff like that. And a heart attack, every second counts. Uh, but it's like, I'd, I'd be okay with this system so the thing is, they just built, they, they mandated this to be built into every car, and it's on by default. You just, like, it's, and we'll I'll talk about this later, it's really hard to turn off, right? I would be okay if they just built that in, into any car and it was on by default, and if you didn't want it, if you, could, if you buy the car, you could, could just say, I want this disabled. Which is what legally I think the situation is, but that's not just not happening. Um, then I wouldn't have so much of a problem. Um, but you know, there's obviously privacy problems with this. I mean, it has access to the phone, like to the microphone in the car. If somebody can turn this system on and somehow enable this modem, you know, this 2G or 3G modem, or maybe it is running when you buy the car, um, they could stream a running audio stream from the car, right? The system is supposed to be able to only dial that 112 number, but who knows how that's implemented. Anybody who knows anything about IoT security knows that this is probably just a random... Car makers are probably buy a random modem and then like set the software to be only to be able to dial that number. If you can get in that, you know, who knows? Um, and, you know, the, the, the problem is also, like, it's probably hard to get into this e-call system from the outside um, because there are supposed to be safeguards in place that um, you can't call any other numbers or uh, nobody can get, you know, can call that modem from the outside. Um, but the problem is it's connected to the entertainment system. And if you know anything about car hacking, the entertainment system is the vulnerable system. All the problems with, like, you know, um, for example, uh, stopping a car when it's driving, um, you know, the car hacks that we had in that regard. Um, there were always get into the car via the entertainment system. And the problem is the entertainment system is then connected to, let's say, the brakes. And usually you shouldn't be able to, like, bridge that connection um, 
or you can turn the engine off, right? The, the fact that you can, you should not be able to turn the engine off from the entertainment system. But these systems are connected. For example, a simple reason is, um, in modern cars, the entertainment system wants to change the volume of, you know, if you're listening to the radio or whatever, uh, or this podcast, hello, um, based on your engine noise. So based if the car's running uh, faster, it raises the volume. And to know that, it needs to have the connection to the to the you know via the CAN bus to the engine electronics to know how fast the car is running, and it's often badly implemented, and you can get in that. Yes, as Mode Seven points out in Twitch chat, uh, GPAD that I have a link to a to an article here uh, in the in the show notes that uh, exp- explains many car hacks and the problems with that, and the problems that auto auto manufacturers are not up to scratch. You know they they don't have enough IT security know-how. They don't care enough uh, to prevent these things, and they happen over and over again. So it could be possible that you hack the entertainment system, and then, for example, maybe you can't. I mean that that would maybe enable you to enable the microphone, right? Because that's tied in because of you know uh, pairing your phone and stuff like that. Um, but maybe then you can't get the data out. But maybe you can get the on uh, the the e-call system to like call a number of your choice you know just call you instead uh and then listen in um i did a story this isn't cars but it's basically the same thing uh i did a story about uh, these child smart watches uh, a few years ago when i was still working at heise um that are supposed to be uh so there are they have like this emergency function they're like smile smile (laughs) uh child smart watches uh, that parents can give their kids and then they can track where they are and the the kid can uh, in an emergency like push a button and the the watch calls the parent uh, but you can could hack into the API and you could actually call that watch and because it has a microphone uh, you could call any watch that like I could I you know I, I actually at Heiser I demonstrated this live on video uh, of course I called the, my watch but I could have called any other watch you just call it and it 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 picks up a call but the watch doesn't show the user so the user doesn't know that anything's going on and you're listening in you have a live stream of audio from the watch um so that that is some of the vulnerabilities that i am afraid of with the system um now apparently you know there were privacy concerns because when when the eu mandated is they put like a document on their website which is like a two-page it's a it's a joke but basically they were like oh we're getting a lot of questions about privacy and uh did, you don't need to fear you don't need to fear oh wait where's my give me a second here uh where's my where's my voice of this is the voice of authority this is the eu you don't need to fear citizen the eu is watching out for you basically what they said um (laughs) so they have this document right and it says the public pan european 112 e-call in vehicle system ivs remains dormant that means not connected to the mobile phone networks until a serious accident happens therefore no tracking or, or transmission of data takes place during normal operation of the system only when a serious accident takes place the information contained in the minimum set of the blah 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 the minimum set of data is transmitted to the public safety answering point psap 
fucking EU, they always have like acronyms for everything. The data included in the MSD are those strictly needed by the emergency services to handle the emergency situation and may include the triggering mode, automatic or manual, the vehicle identification number, vehicle type and propulsion, timestamp, vehicle direction, current and previous positions, and number of passengers. These these data, I hate it when they use data in in plural. This data is transmitted and stored by the PSAP in compliance with the relevant legislation on personal data and consumer protection. PSAP are used to deal with personal data respecting citizens' privacy in the course of their normal operations in accordance with European and national legislation. Shut up, citizen. While in normal operation... Uh, sorry, I, I got... Uh, I need to fix my um, show notes uh, that I'm using right now. I'll fix this before they go live, but I have some space issues here. Um, there's some. It was, it's copied from a PDF, and it had some some spaces missing. Uh, while in normal operation, the eCall IVS is not registered to any telecommunications network. Registering and voice data communications take place in case of, a, of an accident. Well, you know, this is idiotic because yes, okay. So, uh, I mean, it's not idiotic. It just means like if if that is true and the manufacturer uh, um, has implemented it correctly, you can't like find these, right? So these are not on the network. You can't find these. You can't call them in from the outside. But if you get into, if you hack it in any other way, you could just tell the system, oh, system, oh, you just had an accident, right? You could, or you could probably just tell it if you get into the guts of the system to just register at this moment. Um, during its normal operation, the IVS may only scan the radio spectrum for available networks, but without communicating the, the mobile network op- uh, with the mobile network operators. No immediate parties, including the MNOs, have access to the MSD that is transmitted from the IVS to the PSAPs. <laughs> uh, therefore, there are absolutely no reasons to be worried about your privacy. The European Commission has taken all necessary measures to safeguard privacy of the vehicle's occupants after consulting with data protection authorities and European data protection supervisor office. So that's 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 the word from God. So so my point here is uh, they have there's no like real technical information on this. There's a standards document which you have to buy, which costs like fifty pounds, which I can't do right now because I don't have enough uh, uh, <laughs> money lying around. Oh, Astral uh, Astral C says this affected by GDPR. Um, yes, it is. Uh, they are of course it's the EU. They're GDPR compliant. So basically. Uh, GDPR comes into effect once this data is transmitted to the PSAP, so the uh, emergency service provider, right? And they, um, you know, they they have to delete that data like off the crash. I'm guessing after 30 days, it's in there somewhere. They're they're compliant with that, yes. Um, That is not so much my issue here. Uh, My issue is not the system in itself. Uh, If it works as advertised, uh, that would be okay. Um, I do not have, well, I do have the issue that I would like, if I buy a car, I'm going to get into that, um, in the next segment here, but if I buy a car, you know, I want to decide what kind of software, like, you know, what kind of systems it uses. Like if I don't, it's like the fucking, uh, we had this discussion in the, uh, in the discord, it's like this engine 
turn you know the the automatic uh turning the engine off uh once once you stop right i i personally think that that's just a, that feature doesn't like in normal operation of most cars probably doesn't save any petrol um i think it's a system the car industry came up with uh to make it look like they're saving petrol it's like fucking turbo it's like they put uh small engines into cars because in a, in lab uh conditions that means they use less petrol but then the car does need peak power so every fucking little car now has a turbo la- a, a, a turbocharger right it's called turbo lader in, in german sorry a turbocharger so they're all turbocharged engines and if you know i've i've rented a lot of cars in the past because i didn't have a car for a while and i i, I did experiments with lots of cars and you have like this little fiat panda who uses like very little petrol when you're in the city but once you go on the motorway and you actually need to overtake a fucking truck like the turbocharger kicks in all the time and it it, like it has a life like i'm using this much fuel like you know uh, liters per per 100 kilometers it has that life on the dashboard so you can turn that on and it's like there's this point where it like uses 25 liters it's like a fucking corvette because you're, you're trying to go 140 because you need to overtake somebody it's like it's all this it's all this shit it's like the this the stuff vw get got caught with you know it's like in lab conditions yeah it's it saves fuel but anyway so i i, I think this feature is is a sorry rant here side rant but you know features like that i want to be able to turn off and like in modern cars you can turn them off once and then as soon as you turn the engine off you turn back on the features back on um and as indie game access the stop starts just marketing yeah it's just marketing but it's a fucking annoying marketing if you use the car because if you're in a city like that's a the car doesn't that's a shitty feature if i hit the accelerator i want my car to fucking accelerate right and the same people that are with this are like, oh, I love electric cars because I hit the accelerator and it accelerates immediately, right? But you make the, the f- fucking petrol engine just take two, you know, it takes about a second. Like my mom has a, or my mom has a mini. I, I drove a lot of minis as well. Like, I do, I, like you have, so I once rented a Mini Cooper S, which is a ridiculously fast car. It's very small, it's very light, and it's ridiculously fast. You, you're like, you're like, I, you know, I did like basically de- drag ra- races at traffic lights with like big Porsches 911, right? And you'd completely smoke them for the first, I don't know, 10 seconds or whatever, because it's so much, because the car's so much lighter, it's, it's very well, like sits on the road very well. But like, if you have to start stop thing on, that doesn't matter because you hit the accelerators like 21. Oh, now the engine decides to start. <laughs> Uh, not to mention that I think it just uh, completely fucks with like I don't think motors are designed uh, to be turned on and off constantly I think it like from what I learned in driving school uh, when first I learned if you turn on your engine that uses like I think back in the day normal motors engines are probably different but back in the day I think my driving instructor said um, if you start your engine um, it uses as much petrol right then than uh, if it just sits there for thirty seconds idling, um, and also it's like it 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 the battery you know it 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 uh, they, they need bigger batteries because that taxes the battery it taxes all the components, um, you know I think I think they break much more often especially then if you have a turbo turbocharger they also break a lot, um, but anyway, different. What I was trying to say is, um, you know. 
it's okay if it's a common factory gives me this feature, but I want to be able to turn it off. Right? I'm a Linux user at heart. I want to I want to be able to turn any shit off that I don't need that I don't want. Um <laughs> Apple will probably put start stop on their Macs as in the gaming's probably. Um Boglet says it's the engine warm-up period. If the engine's already warm, uh, it's fine. Yeah, although, you know, the starter motor takes a lot of, like, even if it's warm, uh, you know, starter motor takes a lot of energy and just a lot of me- mechanical uh, mechanical force. But anyway, I, you know, that that was just my point. I want to be able to turn a feature off. And the same thing I feel with eCall. And if it worked as advertised, I'd be okay with it being enabled by default, but I want to be able to turn it off. You know, I want a little switch somewhere like, you know, the 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 airbag uh, passenger airbag uh, switch to turn off if you put like a child seat in there. I want something like this somewhere that's hard to access, maybe in the in the engine compartment somewhere, but you can get to where you can turn it off. Um, because the point is, the point here is, this system is okay if it works like advertised, but it probably doesn't because we know car manufacturers are shit with this stuff. We know they are shit. They have a bad track record. In, in all kinds of reasons, you know, with IT security, and they have a horrendous track record when it just comes to being plain honest about their cars, right? Just look up the VW, I have a link in the show notes, the VW uh, emission scandal. And it's not only VW, people are like, oh, VW. Yeah, but everybody was doing it. Everybody, they just get caught first. Like Renault was doing it, you know, all the big, yeah, I think the whatever, Fiat, whatever that companies, they were all doing it. Um, they're not that they're, they're lying about like just watch uh i love grand tour right and they do precious little about cars most of the time they just blow shit up but like they are you know you can say about clocks and whatever you want but he's an experienced car journalist and they make jokes about this but they go on about this all the time how car manufacturers don't say certain things right so they'll be testing i don't know some uh what was that like was it was it was it an alpha? I don't know. And it's just like the they won't tell you like what the not to sixty speed is. Like they won't tell you that. Or, or Ferrari has like an NDA where you can't where you they'll they give you the car to test it, but you're not allowed to like do timed lap. Like they were like, yeah, it, so Jeremy it was on the track. So why didn't we do a timed lap? Yeah, uh, Ferrari said we couldn't. It's like, what the fuck? And they're all the same. Like, this is, all these car manufacturers are the same. So I don't trust them. So the questions I have for the EU um, and their amazing document of it's all okay, privacy is it's fine, is um, will we just have to take your word uh, and the automaker's work that every fuck, that this is implemented in every single make of car correctly, especially if they implement this all differently? Um, like specifically, can the system be tricked into thinking an accident occurred, right? Or otherwise uh, activated, maybe silent, maybe without the driver noticing or the owner noticing, you know, what about backdoors? What about backdoors, uh, built into an implementation by a car manufacturer? Just imagine you're an intelligence service, right? Just imagine your GCHQ and you, you like, you get like a GM or I don't know. Uh, fucking, uh, what's it? What's Vauxhall, Opel, their GM, right? Well, anyway, some any car uh, manufacturer. You know, you get them to build a backdoor into the system. You can turn them on at will, 
like let's imagine they skip the thing where the thing's not connecting it's not supposed to connect to the um cell network or maybe it doesn't maybe they just send like they want to target you and they send an an agent and you know how the system like scans for network uh cells maybe there's like a trigger maybe if you have a network cell that is named uh in a certain way then uh it just uh you know it just it just starts connecting maybe you just have to send it like a signal um who knows uh you know that that would be like the the amazing thing and f from snowden and what we learned about you know the uh the crypto ag scandal this is not like conspiracy theory bullshit this is stuff that happened in the past this is stuff they do i mean i'd be much more worried in the u.s because basically in the u.s the intelligence services they could just go to ford or gm and say just built this in and and they can't even talk about it we know about this um It is, um, it is, I mean, I don't trust them. And, 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 and basically you says, you says here, well, trust us. Also, I might trust the EU, but it's idiotic from these EU parliament people to think the car manufacturers are going like, ah, I don't know. When was the emission scandal? I just have to look this up. Wait, give me a second. VW. Oh God, I can't spell mission scandal because I, I wonder if this was before this was passed uh yeah so the emission scandal was actually after this was passed <laughs> so they were like oh trust the car manufacturers and a few months later this was in april and i think the scandal was in september <laughs> a few months later like, oh shit we can't trust the car manufacturers um and like you know the Funny thing is, this document, this EU document in itself specifies uh, some of the privacy problems uh, that the car manufacturers, uh, they say, must address. But, you know, we will just have to, we just have to take their word for it. So they say in this document themselves, manufacturers shall ensure that the e-call in-vehicle system is not traceable and is not subject to any tracking before the e-call is triggered. But they don't say how they will ensure this. They say, in the internal memory of the e-call in-vehicle system, retention of previous locations of the vehicle is permitted, but that data must be continuously removed to ensure that only data is strictly necessary to specify the current location and the direction of travel are retained. This data must not be available outside the in-vehicle system to any entities before the e-call is triggered. Now, how do I check that, that this data is being removed? What if it isn't? Right? What if what if the data is available and it's available over the CAN bus and like any mechanic can plug that in and basically know where I've been for the last year with this car? They say privacy enhancing technologies shall be embedded in the in call in the in vehicle e-call system in order to provide e-call users with the appropriate level of privacy protection as well as the necessary safeguards to prevent surveillance and misuse. Okay, that's nice. So what are those magic privacy enhancing technologies? They don't say that. Right? And as I said, links in the show notes, track records for you know, automotive safety are horrible. And 
these people continue, you know, they have a track record. All of these manufacturers pretty much have a track record about lying about how their product works. So I don't trust them. I don't trust them, A, that the manufacturers, I'm sorry, hitting my, I'm, I'm, gesticulating wildly like like an italian racing car driver what are these what are these eu people doing i don't believe it sorry if you're italian um so i don't trust them that they're doing this correctly and i don't trust the eu to have effective checks in place to ensure this because we know that car manufacturers cannot be trusted to implement systems like this safely and we know that the EU doesn't have systems in place to check on car manufacturers. So uh, that's that's pretty much about e-call and why I don't trust it. Um, now let's look at e-call, uh, the system in the real world. Now, some good news right at the start. Um, it seems that this system is not wild, as widely deployed as the EU would like you to think. Um, oh, Astro C has a question. It's actually good uh, in, in Twitch. Does you think if they keep the implementation secret, it is safer or are they just incompetent? I don't think it's like... So, so this is like how the EU works, right? So they... They make legislation and then they have a standard and then they work with affected industries um, to to implement this. And I think they're just working with the common factors. I don't think they're thinking. Oh, this is complicated. So I don't. They, I I don't think they mean to keep this a secret. It's basically what I'm trying to say, right? I think they are. Um, um, that's just them, the the way it works, and they, you know, they they work with companies all the time, so they they trust these companies in in certain ways. And I don't trust them in other ways, but you know, they work with them, and they don't feel like this needs to be something that all the public needs to know. It's just like they're not in the let's say the open source mentality, right? They they, they don't think like like maybe if you know if you listen to this. Pro- podcast and you've listened some of you might have listened to previous podcasts of mine and so you're you're probably certain mindset a mindset that i also come from you know from from nerds and geeks and hackers and all of us who know that you know security by obscurity is bullshit and all of that but these people don't think that way um so i think yeah it's a it's a combination of both i think they are you know they're a little bit incompetent they don't, don't know what they're doing like this is my issue with with these kinds of this is this is what the EU tends to do. Um, but it's also, I, I need to point this out uh, in case people misunderstand this. This is not a, um, I'm not criticizing and I'm not ragging on the EU per se. This is a problem with government. Um, and it's not an EU problem. We learned in recent memory, in recent times, um, that, you know, you know the, the UK got out of the EU because out of regulations like this, supposedly. And, you know, the safety first in the EU, something something that I've criticized as well. But we learned, you know, with COVID, with the whole thing that's happening, I mean, they were out of the EU and they were criticizing the EU for all these rules and all of that. As soon as COVID happens, every country did the same thing. Like the UK did the same, they're doing the same rules and uh, rules that are also based like like this, 
right? Th these are politicians who listen to experts who don't really understand that they don't understand the subject matter. They listen to experts and then try to implement something. The problem is they don't listen to enough experts and they don't know how science works. They think, okay, we need we need to get somebody in the field who knows what they're doing, right? We trust this person because reason. You know, he's been shown in the past that whatever. So they trust this guy and then they check this guy and then the, this guy says something and then they, they say, oh yeah, he's right, we need to implement that, right? They don't understand that science is lots of voices, that people might disagree, that you need to, sometimes you don't have a consensus, sometimes you have to hear other voices. They don't understand this. But we learned that this is not an EU problem. Like the, the US did the same thing uh, with COVID. And the US does, does the same kind of legislation uh, that sometimes isn't based on reality as well, uh, especially in California. Is some, some, some of that privacy legislation, stuff like that, some of the tech legislation, right? Um, some, of, some of the stuff when they go, oh, uh, you know, social networks are not a monopoly. Yes, they're not a monopoly in the actual old-fashioned sense of the word but you haven't understand you don't understand the internet you don't know how it works or another example is uh, the um um i've talked about this back on linux outlaws i've ranted about this a lot uh, net neutrality that the whole idea of net neutrality they had in the u.s and that the tech press had in the u.s was like most of the tech press was completely ludicrous right there is no net neutrality there is no oh the infrastructure is holy and nobody shall control the infrastructure right the infrastructure of the internet is made up out of networks that belong to people and some people have more networks than others or they are situated in in, in certain ways so there's peering going on right these companies are basically um instead of paying each other for traffic all the time they're kind of balancing the sheets but yes they are paying each other for using their networks so there is no ideal of oh the network is free and we can all use the internet somebody laid the fucking pipe right and they spent millions and millions and millions of dollars and they want to get their money back and it is not fair if you're netflix and you're suddenly everybody's using your service and you're using somebody else's network who's paid to put the infrastructure in and is now basically getting ass raped by you because you're suddenly 80% of the traffic of the internet, right? Um, it doesn't work like that. And they don't understand that. And then they get an expert or they get like, I don't know, Cory Doctorow and Cory Doctorow's, oh yeah, the internet is, the internet belongs to everybody and nobody should pay for anything. And then they implement something, you know, they put a law out that is, comp well, you know, in this case, they didn't. And then they got criticized for it, but you know, you know what I mean. It's like that—that that is how this, these policies are made, and it's often they are not close enough to reality. And I think this is kind of the same way. But anyway, I was just talking about how um, e-call is not as widely deployed as you would think. With it being, you know, since 2018, it has to be in every new car that is sold in the EU. But it turns out that the manufacturers are basically shirking this by using an old trick. Um, because if you look at it, uh, since this requirement came into effect, just about 30 different car types with e-call have been approved in the EU. Uh, but in that time, this is like, you know, uh, so that was 2018, so it's like almost three years now. Many, many, many more car models were uh were you know were approved and basically what the manufacturers are doing they're using a loophole in the eu's type approval system for cars or general motor vehicles 
um, that that's been around for a long time. So they don't, they're not registering new car models as separate vehicles. Um, they're reusing existing type approvals when they can do that. And this is something. Um, this is they don't really do that generally because they avoid e-call. They can just do avoid e-call as well. Um, it saves them just a lot of money because if you do that, you don't have to go through the same approval process and it's expen- expensive. It's kind of what Boeing did with the seven. It's a you know airline industry is different, but it's kind of the same thing. You know, uh, uh, what Boeing did with the seven three seven Max. Where they basically said, "Oh, it's just a 737NG with a little bit of changes," and then they didn't have to do training for all the pilots, and all the certification was was cheaper. But basically, that's what caused those crashes in the end. Uh, and you know, the, the these car manufacturers doing doing the same thing. So, as far as I understand it, this means let's let's take Volkswagen as an example. Um, so, if they uh, let's say if they they released the Volkswagen ID3 this year which is this new electric car. That would be a completely new car. So that would be a new type. Uh, they, they, they need a new type approval for that. But if they if they release a new Golf, right, which they do almost every year now, um, then they wouldn't do that typically. They would use the previous generation's type approval and just say, well, it has these small changes. And then they wouldn't have to build e-call in it because they, the, the the golf this type approval is based on when they registered that was at a time when you didn't have to build e-call so they in so they have to build e-call in the id3 but not into the new golf this is just a random example i don't know if it if that's the case uh, the new golf might have e-call it's just something you know i came up with um so and because most cars just just think about it when when do car manufacturers actually release a new car with a new name right that doesn't happen often mostly they're like updates of previous models and they're like the you know the the so you have the fiat 500 and then they have the xl or whatever bigger one and then they probably reuse that same uh type approval for this kind of stuff so there's actually not that many cars that actually have e-call in there. It's not all the new cars because the ma- I mean it costs money, right? They have to build a little box in it. They have to have a modem. You have to pay for for the SIM card. You have to engineer that. You have to put it in. So whenever they can, you know, car manufacturers being companies like any other, they always want to save money. They just don't do that. Um, uh, just quickly back to uh, net neutrality uh, mode 7 is saying as far as net neutrality as I understand it they're just saying that Netflix can't pay ISP to have priority over another service or type of traffic uh, it's to say that everybody gets treated the same right but that's that's completely unrealistic if you know how an ISP works ISP do that all the time you know the ISP, this has been happening for decades this has been happening before Netflix was around it's quality of service that's what an ISP does so an ISP has limited bandwidth, especially like in view, you know, back in the day when I actually worked for an ISP, uh, you know, it was it was always copper. The problem was always the copper. Like they, they, we didn't have fiber everywhere, so it, it was copper. And you have a limited bandwidth, and then you yes, you prioritize certain traffic. And if you realize, if you if you notice that everybody is like watching videos and saturating a certain segment of the of the network, um, and like normal you know, like websites and surfing isn't getting through, then and people are complaining because their websites take long to load, then you quality of service that. Right? Then you go and like throttle the video down. 
right? And it's not like it doesn't kill the video. It's just like, um, okay, the, the, the video service provider notices that, notices that your bandwidth isn't as good and just, you know, compresses the video more heavily. This happens all the time. The idea that all traffic on the internet is the same is ludicrous. I mean, if you work, if you if you work as a network administrator, you know this in your own network, right? There are networks where you know they block mail ports or something, so that random people just can't like run a mail server on their network. Um, and um, what Seven says, but Netflix in this example shouldn't be allowed to pay an ISP for priority. The ISP can adjust their network as they need to for performance. Why not? Like, why wouldn't they be allowed to pay an ISP for performance? Um, I mean. The, the the solution Netflix actually did, or like all these video services did. Let's say let's say a big German ISP. Let's let's, let's say telecom, right? And they want to improve their um, their delivery uh, of of video to telecom users. What they actually do is they have a server with hard drives in it that has the most requested content. Let's use Netflix as an example on Netflix, and they give this server to telecom and pay them to put it into, into the infrastructure so that when a telecom user requests a video, uh, it comes straight from within the telecom network, which is a lot, you know, it's a lot faster connected than, um, you know, if, as if it had to go out of the telecom network to some other network and then there's a Netflix server and it pulls that down. Um and in some cases, I think they don't even pay the te- telecom because telecom is actually saving money because they don't have to pay for peering for all this video to come from outside of their network. If it's within their network, they can basically deliver it for free. Whereas, let's say, uh, let's just as a stupid example, it doesn't work like this, but let's say, um, let's say the Netflix um, server was on a Vodafone network and all the telecom users were using. Uh, streaming video then there would be a lot more traffic going from vodafone to telecom than the other way around and then they would have to pay as for their peering agreement right if, if they can't balance it out they have to pay for that so i don't understand how you can make a law where you say this company is not allowed to pay for that that's not how it works right that completely ignores what peering is peering is paying for traffic and yes it will also be to prioritize certain amounts of traffic because traffic on the internet is just not the same. Like saying that uh, video traffic or like just you know gaming traffic uh, is the same as you know somebody googling things or downloading images is just not understanding how the world works. Um, so I'm, I've I've never understood how this works and i always understood the arguments from the isps because i worked at an isp and you know i worked in a completely different department but you know um i was interested in in, in how it worked they had all these in-house uh training stuff and you had just some stuff that was mand- mandatory anyway and you know i learned a little bit about how this all works especially i worked for a smaller isp in regards to like a, a giant like telecom, like if you're a small ISP, you have all these problems where they're basically where you know traffic isn't isn't the same, and you you're actually paying them for certain things, and you know it, it's the same. So I mean, it's the same. Like if you uh, if you want a better connection, and they'll have to put a cable in the ground, you'll have to pay them as a company or whatever, right? You can pay. Telecom and te- say I want a I want a better connection, but there is no, and then 
and then you know you might even be or you might you might you might put your own connection in and then you can regulate what goes over that because it's yours um so i've never like i've never understood this everything is the same and all all the traffic is the same um like that if if that was true if they couldn't pay you for this certain traffic then your isp wouldn't be allowed to just like filter certain amounts of traffic out right they can they can just qos you if they want to like if they're saying you're if you're on a on a uh, on a, a consumer connection and you're doing things they deem to be not like you know what every consumer does right say you run a server or something and you you copying lots of traffic around they can just cancel your account or they can can throttle you know certain certain amount of traffic um and uh, yeah um i mean yeah i i understand the argument you're you're coming from mode seven you know you're you're saying you know it's kind of like the post office choosing to deliver what type of package the problem is the post office is a utility also it's just one company Right, it's a, it's a very special arrangement from a time. It's changing now. I don't know how it's in the US, but in Germany now it's not. It's not. Well, it's kind of a utility, but there are other companies. There is no competition. Um, that, that doesn't work like that in a market where there's inherent competition. Right at the point where so telecom in Germany used to be the post office. So you'd have you'd have the, the, the Post Deutsche Post. They did the mail, and then you had. Uh, then they started doing telephony, uh, and the telephony part of Deutsche Post, which then did internet as well, when Deutsche Post privatized, they got privatized as telecom, and they were the only game in town. But later you had other ISPs, right? And so there's special, so in Ger there's always special laws. So in Germany, for example, because in most of Germany, uh, the copper all belongs to telecom, and so even if you're an ISP and you lay your own fiber, um, to get to somebody's house, you will use what's called the last mile, which in Germany is copper and chances are is telecom infrastructure. There are laws in place when they privatize the telecom um, to allow other ISPs. Um, so the telecom must allow other ISPs to use that last mile. And there are special rules about this. So yeah, it's it's all about that. But you know that doesn't mean that if you're if you're an ISP and you're using telecom's last mile and you're using their infrastructure, that doesn't mean they can't QS you if you if like one of your customers is doing weird shit and degrading the network for everybody else. Um, there's no laws about the fact that that ISP is not allowed to do that. And you know I don't understand why you can't pay. I mean. If if you if you wanted to you you know you can't pay um, telecom to have faster service for for your you know if you're if you're an ISP and you're using the last mile and you're saying well we need more bandwidth right and I want to pay you telecom for our customers to have more bandwidth like why can't you do that I mean I I'd see a problem that'd be anti-competitive problems if you can do that and then they just take that bandwidth with away from another ISP. Right, and they just throttle all the other people because you're paying. I understand the argument that that would probably be a problem, um, and that would probably also be illegal. But like, if you're just paying them to put another pipe in, let's say, you know, um, and they basically you're paying them them to upgrade their infrastructure, which you can do because it's their infrastructure. Um, I've never seen the problem in this, but anyway, so that's kind of the, um, the what I was just trying to say with this. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, you're arguing it from the opposite end. I, I mean, I understand. I understand the argument. I've, I'm, I, I um, well, I understand what the argument is. I personally, I've never understood how you can have that point of view. Um, I always thought that a lot of the people who argued this argument, especially politicians, didn't understand how it works because they just don't know what. Like a lot of these people seem to actually think that you know it's just like a, a public cable in the ground and everybody can use it they, they they didn't realize that there's actually people paying millions and millions of of, of dollars or euros euro dollars let's use cyberpunk euro dollars uh to dig up the road and put like cable in which is fucking expensive um but anyway i feel like that is how this kind of um like this this kind of legislation comes to pass with this e-call probably something we can agree on um I don't think the people making these laws understand IT security, right? They think if we create a system and if we think about the privacy impact, right? And if we um, do this correctly and then we make laws requiring uh, the manufacturers to follow these security guidelines and follow these privacy guidelines, then that will be okay. The system will be safe to use. But we know from myriad examples in the field of information security that that is not how it works that come even companies that are legally required to to do something do it make something secure won't do that they cut corners whatever and they always have excuses and you know and then then some of them get sued and then it slowly gets better but the, the idea that you can just make a law and say this is all safe um is somewhat idiotic um and it is dumb because the only thing they need to do is enable you to turn it off, which they really don't. But we'll get to we'll get to that in the next next segment here. Um, so another reason I found this interesting, uh, I just read this while I was researching this. So another reason the car manufacturers are basically don't want these want, want to build these e-call boxes into their cars is that by definition they use two two three and three G networks. Now the problem is. To, to call the emergency numbers. Now, the problem is these are going away. Um, I don't know about other countries, but in Germany, 2G will probably stay around for the foreseeable future as a fallback because 3G is totally being phased out. Uh, so there are three network operators in Germany. Two of them are going to phase out uh, 3G this year, 2021. And the other one, I think Vodafone is going to do it within 2022. Um and in other countries, even 2G is, is on the chopping block because basically what they want to do is uh, they want to use, reuse those frequencies, right? Because we have 5G, 6G, whatever. We have lots of people who want frequencies. If, you, you know, if you're a ham radio guy, you know uh, the ham radio frequencies are always under siege because there's lots of companies who want to use all of this. And um, the frequencies are at a, at a premium the spectrum is getting more and more congested. Con congested now. There's Elon Musk with his fucking satellites, who's fucking blanketing the Earth on on some frequencies as well. Um, so they want to clear up these frequencies. So they're going to go away. And there are now plans for a next generation e-call that will use a 4G uh, and 5G network. So basically LTE and 5G. Um, how you would like 5G is a stupid idea for that, I personally think, because 5G is just um, the distance is just too small. 
Like if you're in the middle of nowhere on a country road, there's no, there's, uh, you know, I mean, I, I would say, let's say they built the 5G antennas into every like light pole, but there won't be any light poles around, so you know, that you won't, it won't work. But anyway, so they want to, they want to do that, but that's just planning stages at the moment. Um, so that's another reason because yeah, the automobile, the maintenance uh, cycle for, and the innovation cycle for automobile stuff is a lot longer than for mobile networks, right? So 3G was all the rage like 10 years ago. Now it's been phased out. If you build a car, those are, I mean, with modern cars, as I said, you know, with the turbochargers and all that shit that's going to break down, this is changing as well. But traditionally, you'd, you'd expect your car to last 10, 20, 30 years. Right, my car. Uh, I bought a, a VW T4 uh, transporter camper van, which was built in 2002. Uh, so it's 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 reached its um, its legal drinking age in Germany now, and uh, it's got 100 and, uh, 150,000 kilometers uh, on the clock. And it's like you know these you, you ex- these, these engines. You expect them if you keep them well to last you half of a million. Uh, kilometers, you know, five hundred thousand kilometers. You you can drive with these engines. There are there are these cars, you know, uh, got friends that have a T three, right? From from the from the late eighties, uh, and these these cars are going to be around, and it's it's ludicrous that that they have these 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 different, you know, that these 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 innovation cycles are just so different. It just doesn't work. Um, <laughs> what's them just politicians no they understand it all sorry to take you down a rabbit hole no don't be sorry i mean i'm 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 reading this out uh from twitch chat because i think it's it's important i think it's also important um i like this i like to have like a direct um that's why i like doing shows live i like to talk to listeners while i do them and especially you know now that i do most of these podcasts on my own uh, it's helpful if i don't have a co-host to bounce stuff off it it's helpful to bounces of listeners like if i think it's too much of a rabbit hole i will just not engage so don't 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 worry about that um and of course like one of the issues i have is just the lack of transparency we talked about that this is not an open standard you have to pay to get the fucking standard. It's that that's just like very, very it's it it's very uh, like loose. It basically defines what you have to do, not how it's going to be implemented, and that is where the security issues always come in, right? If you're implementing, it's always how it's implemented. It's very it's not very transparent. It's like very it's many companies. It's all proprietary solutions. Um, this is all things I don't trust. Um, so basically, the only safe way, as far as I can understand right now, to be sure, like a lot of the time you don't even know if your car has e-call. Right? The only way to find out is basically when you're already at the dealer and you're looking at the car and you're basically looking, does it have like an SOS switch? Right, But even then, sometimes it's hard to find out. Sometimes it's integrated. They won't tell you about it. Um, so really the only safe way is to buy a car that was built before 2018 or probably even before 2015. That would be like completely sure. Like I'm pretty sure my T4 doesn't have anything like this. I don't think in 2002 they were, uh, they were building, uh, modems into cars, <laughs> um, but also one thing I want to mention, this is if you're in the U S this is also not a new 
not only uh, affecting EU people, it will affect you too. Uh, because as we often talked about it on the show, I often talk about US regulation, um, which I think also benefits my listeners in Europe. And this is the other way around. Because, the, you know, if the EU or the United States pass a law, it's going to go over the pond. So either the manufacturers are because they're building that in any way, they'll build it into US cars as well and sell it as a feature. Or like the other, uh, you know, the the US will get the idea and some, some lawmaker will think, oh, that's good legislation. You know how like they, they see, the, they see the GDPR and I know, you know, putting privacy laws in place in California and other places that are basically modeled on the GDPR. So this kind of goes over the pond. And there are already systems like this. So, for example, there's OnStar, which was was there a lot earlier, I think. This is being built into, uh, like, 10 years ago, this was being built into cars. In fact, one of our listeners uh, and producers um, on the Discord, we're having this discussion, actually has this in his car and is trying to get it out. He's trying to pull, like, where's this fucking box? I want to pull it out. And then, even worse, I think, is Ford Sync. Uh, which, you know, if, if you years ago listened to the uh, Twitch network, Leo was always going on about his Mustang with his great Ford Sync, which like is like a Microsoft, I think, wasn't it a Microsoft collaboration for a while? I don't know if it still is. But basically it has these same functions, basically, but it's built into the entertainment system. So it's probably easier to hack and... It, you can't turn it. It's like it's part of the entertainment system. There's not even a box you can just yank out, test that any anyway. Um, so, uh, yes, uh, Mode 7 says, RMS, uh, Richard Stallman has a friend who has a Nissan Leaf, uh, the ugliest car in the world. Uh, maybe the Juke. The Juke is also very ugly, but the Leaf got that first version like they were test, I was still at Tizer. They were test driving it. I saw that in the parking lot. I like, what the fuck is that? That car looks like the turd. Anyway, he worked out how to disconnect the cellular antenna. Um, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that uh, in the in the segment that's coming up, uh, which is also um, somebody who also mentions RMS, who has an interest in these topics apparently. So uh, why not let's let's get into that segment. So can I turn it off is the question. Um, so it, I found this blog post by a guy called Fernando Negro, who calls himself just a blogger, um, who's blogged about this in 2018, and um, which is interesting. Uh, there's there's not much on this topic uh, for like basically the perfect spyware being in every car that's sold in you. There's not many people writing about this. Uh, in IT security circles, I found very little. I found very little with privacy people. Um, but anyway, uh, Fernando uh, was was interested in this also because of RMS, because RMS uh, is also interested in this. And this is uh, he's I think he's an open source guy. Uh, Fernando is not RMS. RMS is a free software guy. Um, I don't want him yelling at me. Uh, <laughs> um, but he found that, so he found the standards document. So the standards called EN16072 colon 2015. And that's the one you have to pay for. But anyway, apparently he did 
Um, or uh, I think a uh, no, he posted this in the Foronix forum, and I think another guy who was interested in buying a car a few years later actually researched this, and I think actually bought the standards document because he's uh, he's he's quoting from it. Um, no, actually, oh, uh, Fernando must have um, bought it as well because he's also quoting from it. Um, but uh, so basically, what he uh, what he writes in his blog post is um, that um, the standard uh, in the standard it says that the system can be shut off by the manufacturer. Um, but there is a question whether that is uh, still still the truth, uh, because the guy on the Foronix forum who was trying to buy a car. And basically, I, I put a link to his his post uh, in the show notes at well, privatecitizen.press, um, episode 53. In this case, privatecitizen.press slash episode slash 53. Um, he um, wrote to a lot of car manufacturers he was interested in, in their cars. And um, some of them actually said uh, that this legislation, that the fact that you can disable it uh, has been superseded. Uh, but I, they also said a lot of other crap. Some of them just said that it, that they are required by law to put this in and can't turn this off, which, according to this standards document, obviously isn't true. Um, so, um, yeah. Um, so they claim often when you when you you know you want to buy a car and you tell them I don't want this e-call system and I've read that yeah, I can just can be turned off they say we can't do that and they say that law prohibits them from turning the system off which which I don't think is true um because I mean the EU legislation is just governing manufacturers the EU regulation legislation says manufacturers have to build it in if they want to sell the car in the EU right uh, it does not say that the system has to work uh, or be turned on or whatever for the car to be road legal. Um, and I think in the EU with consumer rights, uh, I feel like that the consumer would have the right to control what the product they have purchased and own does. Um, also, you know, I'm, I'm only aware of the German road safety code, but that certainly doesn't say uh, that a car has to be fitted with such a device because it couldn't because otherwise I wouldn't be allowed to drive my T4, right? Or some old car, right? So basically the, the EU's way is to regulate this for new cars. Um, but that doesn't make it illegal if, you know... I mean, the guy in the forum calls that, this is the thing Mode 7 said about as well with RMS, uh, the guy in the forum called this the crowbar solution. Uh, you can just yank the modem out right or cut its power supply or you know destroy its antennas or wrap it in 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 tinfoil whatever um right and that wouldn't be illegal right as far as i understand that wouldn't be illegal uh you know these these manufacturers say it would be illegal for them to turn it off but i think they're just lying i think they just don't want to turn it off i think they want to err on the side of caution so they don't get sued or don't get bad press or whatever um so I mean, if you if you so if you buy a car, uh, like if you if you have no other option, right? If you well, if you want a certain car and that has e-call, uh, or if you already own such a car and you're now thinking, shit, I want to turn this off. Like, what are your options? I mean, you can try to find that thing and kill it, but the problem is um, there's very little 
documentation about this. There's next to nothing from car manufacturers. Um, there's very little from the community as to where to find this, right? If you know a car hacker, they can probably find it, but like it could be anywhere. Like it could be embedded in the, in the, you know, in the, in the entertainment system. Who the fuck knows? Um, um, Boglet asks, does it come with a SIM card? Yes, it comes with a SIM card. It has a SIM card. Um, apparently, as, as the EU says, it's not registering. It's only registering when you crash. Then it registers the SIM card through an automatic process, kind of like your, your mobile phone does these days. And uh, it's registered with a provider that has a network where the crash was. And then it starts making a call. But it is apparently probing for networks. So you could probably... You know, if you have the right equipment, you could probably detect that. The problem is, do you know? So, so, so I'd, I'd be thinking, let's say um, a modern a modern BMW, right? A modern BMW has that antenna and at the top. And that antenna, uh, as far as I know, is like the radio antenna, but it's also the, you know, the little shark fin, right? But it's also the antenna for the... Um, for the in-car entertainment system, which has some features, you can you can upgrade it so that that has a modem and it can pull some data, like it can update the maps over that and probably update the car's firmware. And I think there are some where you can also hook your telephone up to that, so it uses that antenna. I don't really know how that works, but that has a like that has a mobile a cell antenna in there, right? Even if you're not using those features, and the the car that you have has that turned off it's probably still built in right even if you don't buy that package it's disabled uh, and i would think that in such a car this this ecosystem would use that antenna right it's probably connected with some wire somewhere in there um uh Borkler says i think you can do emergency calls without a sim card uh yes i think you can but this definitely has a sim card uh, every documentation I read about this is it has a SIM card. I also don't know if the SIM cardless emergency calls work European wide, and I don't think they work for that one one two number. They might work if you're in a country where that is the default emergency number. Um, and yes, of course, in the US you can. But the, the system definitely has has a SIM card. But you you raise a point, right? Would it be able to communicate without the SIM card as well? So just taking the SIM card out, um, there's a, some, somebody on the Pharonix forum because they're, of course, you know, <laughs> they're hardcore open source hackers. They're like RMS disciples. They're like, oh, taking the SIM card out is probably is, isn't disabling it. We need to we need to take the crowbar to it. Um, so, you know, uh, it'll probably be hard to disable that. Um, uh, it might be hard to get it out. Like if it's integrated, who knows? I, for one... Uh, decided a while ago uh, for this and other reasons, like the start-stop thing, to basically never buy a new car again. Um, I'm, I think, like, is a definite option that not enough people think about because we're all in this consumer loop and we all want the newest Chinese thing. Um, it's just buying a used car. Uh, which I think generally look better these days. Uh, they don't patronize you with all these electronic clippy helpers, you know. Oh, I think you should switch gears, right? Uh, I'm like, you know, I'm in, in the city and I'm like going about 45 kilometers per hour towards a traffic light that is going red 
in third gear and the car says, oh, shift to fourth gear, right? No, I'm about to brake. You're dumb. You're idiotic. You're not helping. Hello, it looks like it looks like you want to shift into fourth gear. It looks like you're writing a letter. Fuck off. So uh, they don't have that. Um, I think they're generally easier to repair. Uh, you know, anybody can like, you know, my car, anybody can repair that. I don't have to go to a spe specialist VW. They don't need any specialist. Oh, I need this computer and this attachment and I need to read out the engine diagnostic and oh, it's all proprietary. Uh, so that's a bonus. Um, I also like, this is something I've decided to do last year and it's one of my um, kind of uh, resolutions that was originally a year's resolution that I'm just carrying on. Um, I have, I, I'm trying for myself uh, to be kinder to the planet, but not in these, in these ways that, you know, everybody says you should do. I'm, I'm trying to be logical about it and think about it. And one of my things is I just try to, I try to use things that are there already. I like buying a used car and keeping, you know, I have to spend money. I have to repair it. That's all part of the thing, but I'm doing that and I'm using something that was already built It was built, the energy was expended, the resources were expended, but it still works, right? Instead of going, oh, I might spend, you know, I spent 800 euros on the getting a new clutch recently, right? And you're like, oh my God, this car's probably not worth this anymore. Let's throw it away, get the, like, the bonus you get from the German government for throwing a car away and get a new car. I don't like that. I don't, you know, that car needs to be produced. Just read about how much energy is uh is expended to build a modern car, right? Yes, it might be an electric car and you might be great and you might be driving along with full solar power, but like the energy you consumed in ha having a new car made, you know, you will probably have to drive it three, four years uh, to recoup that energy. Uh, and then... And then your battery is broken and you need a new battery and then you need to throw it back. You know, I like, I like, I like this. I like to, to, to use something that was already there. And, you know, if you go that road, there are some, um, some, some cool, cool perks you can have. I mean, it's hard. Uh, buying used cars is hard. Uh, you traditionally people get scammed, but I think it's gotten a lot easier, you know, with these uh, car sales platforms and, you know, the internet and all that. And it can, it can save you a ton of money. Um, If you're buying, you say the reason I bought my uh, my camper van used is like if you buy a new VW Transporter, kitted out as a camper van, that is that is more expensive than a Corvette, right? You can probably buy two Mustang GTs for the price of I don't know what a new T6 California costs, like with the whole thing kitted out. That's probably three Mustangs. Those things are really really expensive. Um, and even with the money I put into my car because I have to keep it and it's rusting and I have to care for it and it's it's still a lot lot cheaper um, and then you can you know you can you, if, if, if you do it right if you buy models that are that are well known to be you know trustworthy and sturdy and good engines and uh, are built well you know then then you can actually save money or if you like it flashy I mean if, if you I mean I just looked up today. Um, turns out you can get like an 80s Mustang, which is one of the nicest cars ever built. It's uh, they're beautiful. Um, you know they're cheap if you want to win one that's 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 cared for. But you can get that for way less money than like any like com contemporary competitor from BMW. Uh, yes, the BMW will be faster, 
of course and it has all these you know it's modern things but it's there's no question which car has more style <laughs> um Mode 7 says, I can't wait until doing electric conversions is a bit cheaper. I'm going electric 70s Chevy Nova. See, that's that's style. And then, um, <laughs> Fab, what if we send you a Dodge Charger? <laughs> you will need to charge it. I love that. You know, the, the thing with the uh, with the Charger, I you know, when I was in the US, I rented one, and they're fucking amazing, like a Hemi. Like a, a Dodge Charger SRT is one of the best. Like, it was an automatic car, and I fucking hate automatic cars, but I didn't care because it was so great. Uh, the problem with those is they they do have a reputation for uh, falling apart after two years. Um, I think the modern Mustangs, if you want to go that, uh, they're a lot more reliable. And also, with a Dodge, it's a pain in the ass if you're in Europe because it it you know it's hard to get it repaired it's hard to get it, spare parts a mustang you can now just go to any ford dealer fix it of course the newest mustangs have fucking uh you know they have ford sync and that's just uh, uh bog that says fab i heard insurance is expensive for old cars in germany that's generally um insurance is expensive um that you can't you can't say that my for example my car is is cheap as hell because it's a camper van <laughs> if you if you actually it needs a cooking uh if it has a cooking thing inside it, you can class it as a camper van and then the insurance costs next to nothing there's so weird things generally in germany uh it well it's, i think it's the same everywhere uh, it depends on you know how often they get stolen or something like a new um I mean, the new T6, like the new VW, even if, it, if it's not a camper van, it's one of the most expensive. I mean, that, that, that'd be more expensive to insure as a Mustang just because they get stolen like hell. Or like one of the, you know, if you have, uh, what's it, uh, these uh, BMW uh, SUVs, right? The X5 and X7, whatever. They are just through the roof because they get stolen all the time. Then there are certain cars that like all these kid hooligans drive. <laughs> right like a like a golf gti which is a great car but the insurance is like as almost as expensive as a corvette i think because like all these kids insure them and then promptly drive into a tree uh drive off the road or go off-roading or they go go uh street racing and just kill them um yes uh life hacks uh the he the hemi v8 has 16 spark plugs yes and it has it's that that Hemi engine is one of the that's probably the the nicest engines ever built in a car uh, for a motorbike. It's the Moto Guzzi engine that's in my V7, but <laughs> or the old versions of that. But that Hemi, that it, I mean, the the sound of that engine is just ridiculously amazing. So good. The 5.0 Mustang GT is also great. I also drove that when I was in the US. Uh, lovely car. Uh, I drove that. So I drove the um, just do a bit of random stuff here at the end of the show uh, i drove the uh, charger uh, from san diego to vegas and then uh, got a mustang and drove from vegas to la uh, in the mustang and uh the, the charger in the desert was so amazing so it's like you know it's like these roads that's probably where you where e-call would come in handy well although there, there were other cars but it's like you don't there's like this road going to the horizon to like the mojave desert and you don't see like there's nothing no car nothing i'm like let's see how fast this car can go and I'm like stopping in the middle of the road right and go okay launch control <laughs> 
and just just going and then after a while i like see this sign uh i think we were still in california i think nevada does this too but anyway there were there were these signs like um uh radar speed radar control from aircraft and i was like oh shit no <laughs> you need eco starlink yeah you need you need satellite you're right it probably yeah that's that's the point right you could use it there because there's nobody there but there's also no fucking in the middle of the mojave there's no fucking cell connection so it's like that's why i think this system is just like it's not thought through and it's like what I hate about this stuff, and that's what I where I was about the EU rant, but it's not really about the EU, it's politicians. It's like they get it in their head that this is a good idea, and then they pass it because they probably get votes for it, and people are like, oh, yeah, they did something against uh, traffic deaths, and isn't that great? And there's a win-win. But they don't understand like the system. And I would like them, it's, it's very easy to fix, because before you put legislation like this, you just need to commission a study that explains to you how this goal will be achieved. Like, how will this system? Um, well, I mean, you could do the study now, right? You could, you could, you could, you could do a study and see, like, how does it actually save lives? I mean, the emergency services must have that data, right? How often do they get called with e-call, and how likely is it that there was nobody around? Right, if they arrived there, there are like fifteen cars around that would have called, or maybe they did. Right, maybe the car crashes, calls e-call, and then they get five different calls from just passers-by, like, "Oh, the car just crashed here," or "I just crashed into a car. He went over the divider and just exploded." Um, like, where that is something you could do. You could ha have actual data. It's the same thing. This is why I get so mad. It's the same thing with the lockdowns. Right, you, if they actually did. Uh, it's probably hard to do. It's probably hard to do this as well. But, you know, it's like that would be a scientific approach. Actually see, does it help? And not go just, oh, just build it in. Right. Let's turn it on for everybody. What could possibly go wrong? I mean, we're, we're sure there are no privacy uh, problems with this. You know, we'll just state that and put like a two two page PDF on, on our website and then everything's fine. Everything's fine. Don't watch here. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, that's. That drives me, that drives me insane. Anyway, I'll be buying used cars. Um, I like, I like that. I just my, you know, I just my my motorbike, for example, uh, was built in 2013. I bought it in 2014, um, and it's um, it's now falling apart. Um, I did over uh, almost 75,000 kilometers on it now, and that's just like Gucci's are not built for this kind of endurance. And so the uh, transmission fell apart last year. I spent thousands of euros on that, uh, and you know now it's like an electrical problems. Now I have to fix that, but I'm doing that. Other people would probably go, well, it's not worth it. The bike was like, I think I bought it for. 7,800 euros new, uh, well, new, like one year old. It was like a, some people had like test, did some test drives with it. Um, it's like one of these things, typical. It's in a motor sh bike shop all year. People, you know, test ride it, don't buy it. And then in, in the winter, they sell it off because they don't want to have take up inventory space over the winter. Nobody buys it in the winter, you know, and you, you get a deal, you buy it. It's basically new. And now it starts falling apart. And other people would go, well, it wasn't that expensive. Like, it's not worth putting 3,000 euros in, into repairs. Just let's get a new bike. And then you can ride that for the next 10 years. And lots of people do that. Like my parents used to do that. They used to, not with bikes, but they used to constantly buy new cars. 
And everybody would do that. Everybody's like the status symbol, right? Everybody would have their new Mercedes, whatever. My, my parents never bought cars like that, but uh, always bought French cars or Mitsubishi's or something sensible. Um, some, sometimes not so sensible is in lots of horsepower, but generally, you know, not not the expensive where just the brand name is the, the thing you pay for. But um, but I don't I don't I don't like that. I don't want to be that way. I, I've, I'm I'm trying to be. Um, to be considerate and to think about these things and to, to I think it's worth fixing things. Maybe that's like, you know, the, the, the Linux nerd in me, um, or the computer nerd where you're like, I'm not throwing this away. I'm fixing this. Uh, you know, the stuff we, we complain about with phones that are not fixable anymore. It's the same with cars, all this electronics shit they're building in there. It's, it's, it's all lock in. Um, they do a lot of this crap so you can only bring it to their dealer and then even at the deal, I had this with the Moto Guzzi. I brought it to a fucking Moto Guzzi dealer and they were basically saying it's not worth repairing it. Just buy a new one. And I'm like, I don't want a new one. The, the new ones look shit. They don't have the nice color scheme. I want this fucking bike, right? And I was like, like the thing you could do is like you could sell me a new one and then we'd have to put like the tank with the, like it's it's ridiculous. And I was like, I want this repaired. And they're like, they're like we're not think. We don't think it's worth repair. I'm like, you're a fucking repair shop. But they don't think like that anymore, right? They just want to sell you new stuff. They want to sell you, sell you, sell I mean, it's understandable if you're running a business, but I don't think it's good for, for all of us. I mean, I understand. Mode 7 has a good point. Sometimes you don't have time to fix it. Uh, you know, um, sometimes, yes, I understand that sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm in a... Uh, in a in a in a good situation you know i've been doing uh, work from home uh a year before it was cool i don't i can live with not having a car for a few weeks uh maybe even longer um but yeah sometimes it's not an option i'm also not saying uh, you know buying used cars is an option for everybody this is my opinion it's my idea um it might be completely if you're listening to this it might be completely inapplicable to you um, but I just want to give you that idea because I I think a lot of people don't think about that. They're just like stuck in this rut, rut of the thing we've always done that way, but maybe it's not the best way. Anyway, let's look into some feedback uh, I've received from um, from my listeners. producers your producers um your producers so uh this is producer feedback first of all steven corrected very important a mistake i made in the last episode episode 52 steven says in the midst of listening to this episode just wanted to clarify that the chance aka chop isn't in washington dc but rather in seattle washington the other side of the country this capitol hill is the neighborhood of seattle um, yeah, it was completely my mistake. I, of course, know the difference between Washington, D.C. and Washington, and Washington State. And I know where that is uh, for several reasons. One of the reasons is because the Wizards of the Coast uh, is situated in Renton. And who else is, is in Microsoft in Washington? Red, Redmond is in Washington. Um, supposed to be beautiful up there. Um, but yes, I had no idea that Seattle had a... Uh, a neighborhood called Capitol Hill. That's a bit confusing. But no, I know. Sorry, made that mistake. 
Um, <laughs> and then we had a good discussion going in Discord about this episode. So Jackie said via Discord, um, if you go to f- uh, private citizen press uh, slash contact, there is uh, the contact details is on there. There's a link in the show notes. Of course, there's a link, uh, you know, where I'm in the show notes right now. There's a link at the top of the page. And there's lots of contact details on there. One of it is the Discord and it explains. I think it links to my blog. There's a page that explains what the Discord is. Anyway, you know, what is Discord? Anyway, Jackie on the Discord said, excellent episode, guys. I actually listened to it. I listened in one sitting. Wow, that was like almost four hours. I don't think I uh, recommend that. But uh, amazing stamina. You get your uh, you get, you get get your medal, Jackie. Um, P.S. You know, I love your fab, but I'm with Mike. Uh, read the UK COVID situation. It's been very badly mishandled. And as a result, we have had some terrible death rates. But meh. Tories in particular, uh, Tories and in particular, we have the clown Tories in charge. Um, yes, that that's something that I um, that Mike brought up that I uh, first couldn't believe, then looked it up and uh, I saw. And there's the official numbers are that way. I don't understand why they are that way, and I'm looking into that. I uh, I want to do an episode. I read some interesting stuff about uh, lockdowns recently again and how it's. Uh, Basically, uh, people think they don't work, and and that's been my, it's been my hunch, um, but I don't know. Uh, but in that in that uh, connection, it came up that you know basically, if you want to look at you know did this lockdown work, uh, you have all or like you know what does it did to what did it do to the infection rates and to the death rates. Um, you, like you have like these different you have things that are the same in every. Uh, in every kind of basically the waves they are just moved they 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 basically seem to be in the same uh you know um time of the year where like the 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 influenza typical uh, respiratory disease virus wave always was and that's pretty much always the same just different in wherever you are in the world like you know what latitude and longitude whatever you are um but um one thing that is different is for example death rates and i don't believe and I still don't believe that Germany did anything better when it comes to lockdowns than the UK. Um, if anything, the UK did much stricter lockdowns. Um, so I don't, I, I don't think that explains the, the higher death rates. There, there will be something there. It might be the health system. It just might be um, uh, general, just population. Maybe population density. Maybe population density per hospitals. Maybe just the age. Uh, I I f- I feel like the if if I was gonna I'm, I'm looking into this kind of hard because I can't really do the uh you know the science behind this because it's not my field but you know my first idea would be it's the age distribution of the population I actually learned uh, looking to the these German numbers that the uh, that the death rate in Germany um, has been going up over the last few years uh, by about four percent each year. Uh, which is that's because the population just gets older you know because we have more and more older people and not so many young people are born so the whole i knew this from university with this actually in in politics Uh, we did demographics and had a guy studying in bonn had a guy from the demographics office uh federal demographics office which at that time was still in bonn i don't know if they still are but in berlin now maybe um 
but you know he was talking about this effect how you know germany gets older and on i mean that makes sense that more and more people die if your population gets older then it's normal for more people to die each year that's something i didn't know there's there's all these different factors i will look into this um i'm i'm, I'm still not convinced uh i mean i'm i'm the first one to blame the government and i blamed politicians for a lot of things uh this episode uh but i don't think it's that easy because if it was i think we would be definitely seeing differences and the thing i would uh you know erase maybe i'm going to discuss this with mike again if he wants to but um the thing i would like to raise is that so if your theory is that lockdowns work you will have to show that right i don't understand why why when i say i don't think lockdowns don't work like necessarily i have to prove that that's the case i'm not the one advocating these measures right there's people this is the issue i have with politicians like with the eu right these are people these are politicians that govern our lives which we've elected them for which which say uh we want or these measures are now going to be in effect and they are the ones i feel who have to show that these that they at least have a good chance of working. They have to. They have to have the data. Um, I think it was okay last year. You know, when you had this virus come out, we didn't know how bad it was. Whatever, we didn't have any data to just do things. I mean, the, the lockdown in the summer. I did an episode about that. Um, you know, when I talked to Alexander uh, Alex Spier about it, and I was like, I think it's not going to work. But I'm I'm okay with them doing this now because we don't have any data. The problem now is we're a year later and we do have data. And I want to do an episode about that. Um, about the data we have, because I think this is uh, very important. But I, I, I don't think this, uh, in German, we call it a Beweislastumkehr, when you, um, don't know the, the English word to that, when you um, basically putting the onus of proving something on the on the opposite side, where it's like, you're the ones advocating for something, you're the ones who want change, I think you're the ones who need to at least, I mean, not like scientifically prove, but at least have good hints right have good are on the way to at least showing that it works uh, which is is not done uh galtaren uh in the discord set on the on the um, matter of the same episode hi i just finished listening to episode 52 this was very quickly after it was released by the way these people listen to this whole long episode uh very quickly and generally uh we had a very simulated discussion so i think it, it worked i think people were really interested in it um I just finished listening to episode 52 and wanted to thank both Fab and Mike for their ever-inspiring discussions, be it politics, media, or other stuff. I also like the attention to detail Fab puts into the show. And since episode one, I'm proud to have uh, been able to support the show as a producer, as I really appreciate the value TPC is delivering to its listeners. Thank you. Um, I, I give my best. Regarding the political discussion about left, right, or Democrats or Republicans in the US, if I remember well, I think Fab also once mentioned the so-called horseshoe topic brought up in German politics. Um, I found it very interesting. I found an, a very interesting statement by Jimmy Dore. I don't actually know who that is, but he linked uh, a YouTube video saying that the left-right issue, which the M5M, that's a, a no agenda term, by the way, the mainstream media, they mistyped that once and now they call it M5M, uh, is pushing 
the uh, left-right issue which the M5M is pushing is in fact a top-down or a us versus them issue. I find this viewpoint very interesting and I've also heard about it on Adam Curry's podcast, both No Agenda and More Facts with Adam Curry, which by the way, I strongly recommend to anybody who has not yet checked them out if they're interested in US politics, history and media. Yeah, so I, I feel like um, there are similar, I mean, what what's going on here? I, I feel, I, I think I agree with Gal Terran. Uh, who's also a Twitch subscriber, by the way, um, is that what is happening here is that you basically have two things going on. Um, the media loves to do us versus them issues because, I mean, I I know this because you know I'm 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 a journalist and I like to write columns I like to write opinion pieces and there's a rule number 1 that you learn for a good opinion piece it has to polarize the the more polarizing it is the better it is because it will get people thinking it will get co them commenting in forums they will be interested in it. with print media it was you know they will show it to their I don't know, their, their, their friends or whatever, they will discuss it. So you get interaction in, in, in the internet that on the, in the internet age, that's even more amplified because we all know interaction drives, you know, uh, drives visits and that drives monetarization. So th that is a thing that the media in any shape or form, be it social media or other media or podcasts, any new media, new media, new rules, um, sometimes it's old rules, uh, loves to do because that works. So that's why the media is pushing us versus them. And, you know, us versus them could be Democrats, Republicans. That was the issue under Trump, right? Either for Trump or you're against Trump. Um, I feel like politicians are pushing that because it, um, it helps them galvanize their supporters, right? If you're the Democrats and if you are pushing an agenda of you either with us or you're against us, then you can unite people behind your banner that might not necessarily agree with you on all um, points, right? So let's say, you know, Mike and me were discussing uh, AOC. Uh, if you take AOC and her stance or sometimes quite radically um, social democrat, Mike and me would say, in the US, they say socialist. I did an episode on why that isn't socialism. It's called a social democrat, you know, like um, welfare state kind of policies. Um, you might have people within the Democratic Party who, party who are more center left uh, who will not agree with all of this. But at the moment where you, as you know, in, in that camp or as AUC, you invoke the it's Trump versus the world argument these people can't disagree with you because it's either, either you or Trump. And we all know Trump is evil and is the devil. So we have, you know, orange man bad. So, so you know, you can galvanize your supporters. That's why politicians used to do, love to do that. And it's a very old tactic. Um, I had to bring that up, but it's one of my pet peeves because I studied this, it in history for years and read about it in school. And it's a very interesting topic to me. That's how the Nazis did it. That is exactly how the Nazis got to power, right? And us versus them. Germany was in trouble. There's a good uh, Sabaton song about this, uh, believe it or not, um, called The Final Solution, uh, where they talk about this. Um, 
one man seeing reasons everywhere. So Germany was in trouble. Uh, there was a, a economic depression. Uh, people, you know, uh, Germany was uh, suffering from that. It was suffering under the uh, the peace agreement from World War One, and the Nazis used that to galvanize supporters against the them. In this case, you know, people of Jewish faith, uh, communists, uh, people of other political uh, persuasions. In the beginning, it was actually a lot more communists than, you know, later on uh, Jewish people. Um, but, you know, in the beginning, the struggle was between, and that's what they called it, the struggle, was between the National Socialists and the Communists. And they did a, you know, the Nazis drove a very strict us versus them. Like, if, you, if you're not with us, you're basically a communist and you want to abolish all property. And at the time... A lot of lot of the people weren't like strictly communist. They 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 thought these ideas were good. There were a lot of social democrats, right? And the SPD, the Social Democratic Party, got banned uh, in the same vein because the Nazis were basically these people are communists. They weren't communists, right? The difference between um, I explained this in my socialism primer, which oh god, okay, now I have to look this up so you can find it. Let me just see. Uh, what episode was that? The show, socialism. Oh God, we've done so many episodes. Socialism. Uh, it was episode thirty-four. Um, so the difference, markedly at the time, um, that that's where you basically could delineate socialists from social democrats. Is the socialists advocated revolution? The social democrats advocated change within the political system, and the Nazis basically said the social democrats they wanted they they grouped them in with the communists and then you know when they came into power outlawed the party as well so this is this is nothing new uh, i'm i'm sure i'm not a i'm not a um uh an expert or i don't know that much about like the roman republic uh or uh ancient greece and you know democracy there but i am sure the same thing same thing was going on i'm pretty much, i'm pretty sure that you know this is one of the things caesar uh basically overthrew the republic with um i probably learned most of this filtered through star wars but hell it's the same story <laughs> um you know it's it's always the us versus them it, it gives you um it, it it is an easy way to negate the other side's arguments right the other side might have a um, it happens to me all the time. I might have a well-reasoned uh, argument um, that just doesn't, con you know, doesn't doesn't jive with what the mainstream understanding of the topic is. And these days, you always get pushed into like, oh, oh, you're a you're a Nazi, right? Uh, oh, you you just said Trump, this policy of that Trump did wasn't the worst thing in the world. So you're basically a Nazi. And I think that's what, um, what Gal Tarrant talks about here. And this is something we've, we've, uh, I mean, we've noticed. It's not like that, that I, we noticed this on the show, but this is, this is a sign of the times. This is something that keeps happening on and on again and again. And actually, if you, if you think about that in your daily life and you just read stuff, that's like news, headlines and 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 you read your social media stream you notice it right you notice this us versus them mentality and a lot of people i think um including journalists do this without knowing it 
right? Some of them know it and they do it on purpose because they know it drives engagement and it polarizes. Others, they don't know. Uh, they, they, you know, they, they just get swept up. And so, so I, I noticed this in my Twitter feed. I noticed friends who are just like on, um, it's, it's happening a lot currently with COVID and all of that. Right. Um, and you see people just using this us versus them. They just don't listen to other people's arguments. They like immediately. They might not even say it, but you can you can tell by their reply that they're immediately like putting them in a box and putting them to the side. Like you're you're part of the crazies. And what I'm doing with this show, I'm trying to um, fight against that. I'm trying to break us out of this mindset. And the idea is, and that's the same with no agenda, uh, the idea is you do not have to agree with me. I'm, I know that most people will be uh, not on my position with many arguments. I just know that by experience. Uh, I don't know what it is. I once got accused of, uh, um, or several times actually got accused of just picking the, you know, picking the out there um, side of an argument to just uh, always be against something, which is not something I do. Um, I can only yet you have to believe me when I say that, but that I don't do that consciously. It might be that my brain just works that way, or it might be just that I just had, had a different life experience and just thinking different than other people. Um, I don't know, but you know, I see that happening all the time, and I want to break people out of that. And it's not your point, it's, it's not the point to agree with me. I'm completely happy, and people like, right, I can tell that sometimes when they haven't been listening to the show long. They're right in there like, I'm sorry, but I don't disagree. I disagree with you, blah, 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 blah. You don't have to say that. You don't have to be sorry, right? And also, don't expect me to write back, oh, you're right. That might happen sometimes, but generally, I will probably stick to my um, to my side of the argument because I've thought about this a lot. I'm not like putting this argument out there to be controversial. This is actually what I believe. And I've been thinking about this for hours, like under the shower and in the bath, right, and on the toilet, when I, in bed when I can't sleep I'm thinking about these things and that's why I why I have that point so it will be probably be hard to convince me of the opposite but that doesn't mean I listen to you and sometimes it just takes a while sometimes it takes like a lot of people telling me something and then you know you get doubts you maybe you, I, I, I come around on things I used to be strictly anti-nuclear power so an example I always give very strictly if you listen to early Links Outlaws episodes was very against nuclear power. Then at some point I realized that I didn't really have a reason for it. It was just something I got trained into me from childhood. Sorry, microphone. Um, because my parents were that way. This is one of these things you just, and I, I, you know, I didn't really think about it. And I started thinking about it. Um, and then I had another opinion. And sometimes, sometimes I don't know. The thing with Mike and the death rate in the UK, I just didn't know. And that's now a factoid. And that's something I now have to look up. Anyway, that's how it works. And that's how you should approach the show. Speaking of somebody I don't disagree with, Basil will, later in the same discussion, just one thing on the COVID-19 vaccine. The flu vaccine is a little different to the COVID ones. It takes a long time to produce a flu vaccine, so they need to guess the upcoming flu strain many months before flu season. The COVID vaccine is using a RNA vaccine, which has a shorter lead time. Hopefully, this could mean they can be more reactive with 
mutations. Um, I disagree with that, but this is, of, of course, I'm not a medical expert. This is just what I've read and what I've talked to about to people who are doctors and, you know, are doctors in biology at some point. Um, and that's not only my wife. I know a lot of other biologists, by the way. Um, so as far as I can, uh, this is, this is first of all, this is not true because there are uh, two types of COVID-19 vaccines. There is the mRNA vaccine. It's not, you know, uh, be careful, don't call it an RNA vaccine. It's many types of RNA. This is specifically an mRNA vaccine um, because COVID is an mRNA virus. There's also different RNA viruses. Um, and um, I think most of them are mRNA vaccines, but uh, crucially, there is at least one uh, conventional vaccine that is pretty much produced like a flu vaccine, which the uh, Oxford uh, University developed. And I just recently read, uh, so sometimes people ask me, why I don't, uh, like Bill Gates, uh, apparently Oxford wanted to like, kind of open source it and just, you know, don't sell it, give, give, basically give it to everybody for free, just, you know, give them the ability to produce it and then don't charge for that. Um, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation uh, apparently convinced the people in charge that they should give it to AstraZeneca, who's now producing it and charging a lot of money, of course, because that company need to make money. Um, but that vaccine actually was the first one uh, on the market. This was the one that uh, the UK first... Uh, uh, basically, uh, you know, put on, put on the market, uh, ratified to, uh, to be ready for use. This was when Fauci, Dr. Fauci, uh, the uh, US expert who's in charge over there, actually <laughs> said uh, he thought in an interview, he basically said they went to market too quickly. And then a day later, I had to uh, repent and uh, basically retract that statement. But so that went on the market first. And as far as I understand, now this is where it gets, uh, it's not so easy, but as far as I understand, the mRNA vaccine is a lot more complicated to produce. So certainly a lot more complicated to uh, transport. Uh, that's another topic. But um, the problem is it's new and what you need, basically what you're doing is your, um, so mRNA vaccine uh, roughly works. So a conventional vaccine, basically you take the virus Right, and the virus has a virus like uh, SARS-CoV-2 has a has a hull. It's like a um, it's like an like like a like a Kinder egg, right? And in the middle, where the yellow thing in the in the Kinder in the Überraschungsei is, is an Überraschungsei. It's a Kinder surprise. Um, that's where like the mRNA of the virus is. That when that gets into your cell, it takes over the production facilities in your cell, makes more virus. That's the evil thing and then you have a shell which is basically the chocolate of the kinder surprise and that has these little spike proteins and they they attach to the cell and um to 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 get the mrna in the middle into the cell because if that was swimming around in your bloodstream by its own it would immediately get like garbage collected by your body so it needs that kind of hull around it like this lipid shell um and the traditional way of making a vaccine is taking that shell uh, getting the dangerous stuff out and just basically putting the shell into the body because those spike proteins at the end is what your body uh, reacts to and that's what you train immunity with. And if it doesn't have the mRNA in the middle, it can't do anything, right? It, it The lipid might merge with the cell, but there's nothing in the middle that can be delivered and it will be in your bloodstream and you will get immunity. Uh, now, an mRNA vaccine uses mRNA and does kind of the same thing the virus does. 
So it delivers the mRNA into your cell uh, and then gets your, the, so mRNA um, can't transmit information to your, to RNA and then to DNA. So it can't alter your genetic code, right? It can't, there are viruses that do that, but uh, SARS-CoV-2 doesn't, mRNA viruses don't, they can't, like, so, um, I, I think I explained this on the show before, but I'm gonna I'm gonna just quickly try to do this again. So the the way it roughly works, this is this is very very sim- simplified. But basically, you have an R, you have uh, DNA, your double helix, right? Um, and now, if your body wants to read information from that and do something with it, right? It unwinds that and then takes a single strand of that and makes a copy. You know how they're always opposite base pairs? Makes a makes a little opposite part of that little strand and that that will be your mRNA now that gets floated to a part in the cell where it gets read out and your body then produces proteins that do something right uh, so this is this is really really dumb and completely not cor- correct but let's say you had a gene that was going to make you happy right a gene is a part on your on your DNA it's like this little uh, piece um in in your DNA, right? And that would get, you know, DNA gets unwound, that gets read out, uh, gets produced into mRNA, that ge- that gets delivered to a point in the cell. And that would then make uh endorphin I don't I don't I don't know if even if endorphins are proteins, but basically, you know, th- these can make um transmitters uh that tell your brain to do something, right? It would make endorphins and then you'd be happy. Now um what the SARS-CoV-2 virus does it it's that is um but the crucial thing it doesn't work the other way around so if you get that virus and it goes into your cell it can't build anything into your DNA and the vaccine is the same thing so it can't do that basically what it does the virus gets it its mRNA to the part of the cell that would usually be involved in this prote- pro, uh, process and produce proteins you know from your genes um but in this case, it doesn't produce the proteins from your genes. It produces them from the virus. What the virus does, it makes all its different parts, like the, the dangerous shell, in, uh, the dangerous core inside, the yellow uh, kinder surprise. It makes the chocolate hull. And then it builds that together. It makes And so your cell basically makes a lot more viruses in case of Ebola until, for example, until it bursts and explodes and then the viruses fly everywhere and go to other cells and, you know, chain reaction um now the vaccine does the same thing but it doesn't produce the whole virus it doesn't produce dangerous parts it only produces the spike proteins which don't do anything right by itself they can't harm you really i mean you can get an anaphylactic shock with anything that's weird in your body but generally it wouldn't it wouldn't it wouldn't hurt you so what the mrna vaccine does is it goes into your cell and produces tons of spike proteins which then get released into your bloodstream and then your immune system um, basically uh, reacts to them. Now, why, why am I saying this? Because Basil Will said that uh, the, the other vaccine is harder to make. I don't think so, because that's basically what you do is you isol- you get virus, right? You get virus from an infected patient, um, and then you neuter that and make that harmless, and then you need ton of, tons of that virus. I don't know if they... I think they probably artificially... Um, incubate you might know, make more virus and then neuter them i don't technically really know how it, how it works um but that is a process that's been established for 
decades and works really well with the mrna vaccine it's uh, we, we it's really hard to do so at the moment i don't think it's faster because basically what you need to do is you need to analyze the virus genetics so or the virus mrna uh, you need to analyze that you need to figure out what parts does what and then you need to know like what triggers the immune response you know so with SARS-CoV-2 they figured out it's those spike proteins they need to need to find that in the virus mRNA and then you need a way to artificially create that and then you need to put it in like a special lipid hull so it doesn't so the thing about mRNA is that gets garbage collected all the time so the body doesn't want that floating around in cells because um, let's say it in the, in your normal uh, way your body works, it it would read out some part of your DNA, would make mRNA, and then make proteins. And it wants a certain amount of these proteins. And let's say they're trying, you know, let's say they're endorphins. You want to, I don't know if that even, you know, but bear with me. Um, you know, you have you have you want a certain amount of those. So you don't want rogue mRNA floating around in your cell making more that you have, you know, you want to regulate that. So the body normally, like a garbage collector in, a, in an operating system, just kills the old stuff. Um, so it's relatively hard to get the mRNA into your cells uh, without it being like garbage collected out of your body. Um, this this whole point, uh, I'm, I'm bringing this up because I don't think these mRNA vaccines are faster to produce or easier to produce. Um, I think they work. They were quickly produced now because of this whole Operation Warp Speed, because we basically poured like a hundred times more money and resources into producing them than we would into producing flu vaccines. I think if you put the same amount of money every year and the same amount of manpower and and just concentration and political uh, pressure into producing flu vaccines, we'd be far ahead with the flu vaccines. And I don't think it's also so easy um, like that you need to just guess the upcoming flu strain. I think, you know, there are different strains, but I think they also uh, mutate over the decades. So I don't think, okay, you basically there's four flu strains and you have to guess which one is the one that's going to be big this year. Basically, all of them happen every year, as far as I understand it. But usually one or two, I think usually one will have that big wave and they try to guess based on, um, you know, you have the flu season obviously moves around the earth, you know, based on uh, seasons. Um, they, you know, they, they, they collect data and they try to guess and extrapolate which one's the big one. So I think last year, uh, or I think in 2019, uh, they actually missed they were like, oh, we're going to think this one's big and the other one. But the thing is you can't just like put that vaccine on ice or just quickly produce it because they mutate as well. You just can't take like the flu vaccine from six years ago, as far as I can understand it. Sometimes you can, but then they mutate again. So I think, I don't know. To answer this question, I think Bezerwil is not correct on this, but doesn't really matter because I think we don't know uh, we don't know anything about this, these mutations. We don't know what they do. This, this is all just congestion. We don't even, like, I, I'm sure we don't know what they do. It's because we don't know how the normal virus propagates correctly. And we don't we don't know enough about that. The whole reason we're going on with the masks and the lockdowns and are not sure that it works is because we don't know how the transmission works. We do not know where this is chiefly transmitted. We know that like super spreader events and they happen a lot, but they can't account for, for example, what's going on right now, um, where the numbers are just a lot bigger. Um, there are so many unanswered questions, right? You know, um, 
Is somebody who's infected actually spreading it? When do they spread it? Do they have symptoms? Are there asymptomatic spreaders? Um, anyway, I'm going to look into that in a future episode because I think this is very interesting. But, you know, thanks, Bethelville. Thanks for um, commenting. And I think this is very important. I think this is cool. Uh And maybe you're right. I could I, I could also be completely wrong because I don't know everything, of obviously. So this is why I appreciate producers. I appreciate all of you commenting, commenting live in Twitch chat. Um, that's what the show is about. Uh, I'm not one to ignore a comment just because, you know, I was wrong or they say I'm completely wrong and I think I'm right. I, I will pretty much, you know, I, I, I choose these comments after what I think is... I'm trying to to create a discussion here, right? That that is helpful for everybody, and that other people that, who listen to this can learn from. So please, as always, it's my call to action. Please, uh, if you have something to say, privatecitizen.press, please do so. There are many ways to contact me, including uh, anonymous ones. So please, please do that. There's a contact page that explains all of that. And just very quickly, uh, as, as who was it? I think Galtaran explained already. This is the, this podcast is produced under value for value model, which means I just produce it for you. And it's free, obviously. And if you want to give something back, you can. And I just ask you to think about what it's worth to you and what you can afford. And there have been people who are writing to me who are like, I would like to support the podcast, but I can't at the moment. Um, you don't have to do that. I mean, you don't have to support it and you don't have to write me. I completely understand. Um, I've been in these situations in my life where I just can't uh, spend extraneous money on things. Sometimes you want to spend them on other things. Sometimes you want to, you're saving up for Cyberpunk 2077. I completely understand. Or a new graphics card, whatever. But if you can, uh, I just ask to uh, maybe toss a coin to your podcaster. <laughs> um, and you can do so by becoming a patron on Patreon, which helps me most because it's like a recurring thing. But you can also just use PayPal and send a one-off contribution that way. Dainath, who is uh, listening live on Twitch or watching, you can watch me, I have a camera if you're on Twitch, uh, will not be supporting the show for a long time because he's saving up for a new graphics card and then Cyberpunk 2077, which is sensible because if you want to play Cyberpunk, you probably uh, need a new graphics card. I speak from experience. Uh, you could see that while I was streaming. I streamed the whole, my whole playthrough on Twitch. It's all on YouTube. Um, you can check it out. Uh, you will know why now we come to the people that did support the podcast but first quick mention to bitemark at bitemark.co.uk a great uk hosting company that are providing me pro bono that, that is latin for for free uh with service that i use to uh, host the audio files which enables me to have i mean consistently really really good 
um, traffic. And I, I really, you know, I appreciate that because as we discussed this show, uh, I don't think the networks are free, and I think people need to pay for things. Uh, so um, it is. I appreciate it. I couldn't do the show without them. And then I would like to thank Raul Kabazali, who uh, made the theme tune that you hear every time the show starts. It used to be at the end too, but now I'm I have music for the end to mix it up a little bit. But thanks to Raul for that amazing song called Acoustic Roots. Now we come to all the people who supported the show, all the producers who pitched in. We have Georges. Niall Donegan, Michael Malm Jensen, Jonathan M. Hathy, Butterbeans, Dave, Steve Hose, Mark Holland, Shelby Kruver, Vlad, Jackie Plage, 1I11G, Philip Klostermann, Kai Sears, Jaroslav Lichtblau, IKN, Fadi Mansour, Dirk Didi, Joe Poser, Matt Jalliman, David Potter, Mika, Martin, Dave Amrish, Michael Small, SJ, Ricky M, Drive Zero, Larry Glock, <laughs> Bennett Piata, Mr. Amish, Jonathan Edwards, Barry Williams, Avis Neal, Captain Ackett, and also, also, Christoph Martin and Felipe Carvalho, hope I said that right, who I have to apologize to. Uh, both of them, like Felipe supported the show in the beginning of December, and uh, Christoph also at the end of December, and this might be a combination of me not being on the air, but also PayPal like ate the uh, on on with Martin's transaction. PayPal actually didn't process it for a while, and I also for both of them, um, I didn't get the customary email I usually get. Um, so it took me ages to figure out that they had supported the show. So some late credit. I'm sorry about that, guys. Uh, Christoph and Felipe. I'm sorry. I'm going to leave your names in, in the credit list for a few episodes. Uh, a bit longer than I usually do for paper donations just to make 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 up for that. Uh, I would like to, uh, if you're listening, thank you very much. It's very much appreciated, both of you. Um, that that was a glitch in the machine. Uh, it was, uh, I cyberpunked it. I, I see the project Reddit, Reddit it. I'm sorry. Um, and then I would like to thank my Twitch subscribers. Because, as I mentioned several times this show, this show I'm streaming this live on Twitch, um, where Green Turtle is uh, sad that he's just come in and missed the show. It's a podcast, Turtle. It'll be out later. Uh, and then you can you can listen it, to it on your own time. And I upload these things. Uh, I record them on Twitch and then upload them to YouTube. Uh, there's always a link in the show notes now at the, at the top. Uh, so you can also watch me. If you want to see how the sausage is made, you, you can see like a um, screen share of my desktop as I record this podcast. And you can see all the the stuff I cut out and all that kind of, it's not that much, but yes. So uh, my, my Twitch subscribers who are also helping out, who are also paying money, or maybe, you know, you can subscribe with, I think it's called Prime Gaming now. If you have an Amazon Prime account, you can subscribe to one Twitch channel for free. Uh, which gives me the same money, so I'm happy. Um, so thanks to Mike the Dane, Jason Word, Galtaren, Redeemer F, Indie Game X, and Andy Pants. And some of these are double supporters. They're also in the list above. Uh, I just I just can't keep because I, there's no way for me to tell. So I'll just list them. I'll just list them separately. And um, that that was it for this week. Next week the show's going to be one year old. Uh, I'm just going to do a normal episode. There will be no celebration. I'll be patting myself on the back a little bit for having done this one year and actually putting out an episode a week 
which is fucking amazing. Uh, if you have never done a podcast, you have no idea how hard that is. Uh, I haven't been doing that since Linux Outlaws. It is, it is an undertaking. Uh, a podcast episode a week. Starting a podcast is easy. Keeping it running is a lot harder. It actually helps me. <laughs> Believe it or not, like it helps me that I do it on my own, so I can do it on my own time now. Uh, I used to do. Uh, I love doing podcasts with more with, with co-hosts because it's a nice back and forth. But it's just as an organizational thing, it's a lot easier for me if I just do it myself. And it helps me doing it each week because every second week I just keep forgetting which week. It, it's just uh, it's nice. It's much easier. It's a lot more work, but it's much easier to do it every week so i'm kind of happy about that so um, next week we might have an episode on friday so it might be a little bit late just because uh friday is the fifth and that will mean that would be the exactly the one year anniversary fifth of february 2020 is when i started the show when we all barely had an inkling uh what uh what that virus was um <laughs> yeah so uh, I'm, I'm happy about that uh, i'm gonna play you out now with a nice little uh, song uh, I like very much. This is some synth wave. Uh, this is a song called Sunset Drive by Future Joust. Um, I, I love it very much. And um, I'll see you next week. Uh, remember, hang in there. Um, think about maybe buying a used car next time. And uh, otherwise, just, just, you know, stop doing everything they tell you to do once in a while. Aim to misbehave.